foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Katie Says Podcast, where movement geek Danny Hemet, that's you, joins biomechanist Katie Bowman, that's me, author of Move Your DNA, for discussions on body mechanics, movement nutrition, natural movement, and how movement can be the solution to modern ailments we all experience. All of us. Woohoo. All of us. We all experience together. I know. I'm experiencing it right now. <laughs> I know you, like me, you are a fall person. Like, you love uh, the fall. I love it. Me too. It's like the come alive season for me. What's your biggest thing about, like, if you could pick one word, oh. one object about fall, what is it? Why one? Okay, Probably, three. okay. Um, well, I like the light. The light? Mm-hmm. I think fall the light, light is exceptionally pretty fall lighting is gorgeous. I'm just going to stick with that. There's so many, but we can't even get into squash or the smell of leaves or squash, anything. Squash. Squash is mine. Is that it's your favorite? It's all about squash. Do you have a particular squash that you are hooked on right now? I know it's a categorical thing, but these like sad acorn squash that I grew because my kids were so excited. They harvested them all. Like they're so tiny and... <gasps> They really are acorn squash. They are. Yeah, they're tiny. Like, they're supposed to be larger than acorn kids eventually. But yeah, (laughs) pumpkins, acorn squash. I love spaghetti squash. It's just, it's all about squash. Every, at least twice a day, we're eating Mm. some squash in something. So it's all about the squash. Squash is awesome. And the light. Yeah. I got hooked on a, how do you say it, kabocha squash? 
I don't even Last know. Year, what does it look like? It's kind of homely and kind of lumpy, and you just roast it <laughs> and then put sriracha on it. And oh. Oh, 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 I could eat a whole squash just like that. Mm. But then you end up with orange poop, so that's always fun, too. You're like savory. You like the savory mm-hmm. or the spicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. as I get older, it must be an old person thing. Guess what happens, all the things that happen in the fabulous month of November. <sighs> fabulous things that are in November. Fabulous thing. I don't know. Fill me in. I cannot think of one well, fabulous thing besides squash. We get Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's true. I don't really see that as a fabulous. I'm not a Thanksgiving celebrator because of, you know, the roots of the holiday. Right, but the, food is the fun. The togetherness. Yeah, togetherness Oh, yeah. Is fun. You know what? I actually eat year-round now, though. Like, <laughs> I eat year-round. <laughs> wow, that's radical, man. I don't know. I know. I, I don't and know. pumpkin pie. I'm like, I just, I just make pumpkin pie whenever I want. I think to. pumpkin pie should be had all year, really. That's I, why they can it, folks. That's why they put it in a can. <laughs> Not for you to buy it for November and December, but all year. No. It's like we should all have pumpkin pie whenever as possible. Okay, Word. what else? Well, what else happens in the month of November? It is National Incontinence and Bladder Health Awareness Month. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that today. That's what we're going to talk about today. The National Association for Continence, which I didn't even know there was one. So there's that. That's a better name. I think that that's at least a better name than the National Association for Incontinence. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about semantics. It's a lot of, yeah, pretty small membership there. But they report that 25 million Americans, just wrap your head around that, 25 million Americans experience incontinence. That's huge. But there's a little misconception or a big misconception that people, a lot of people have with incontinence. It's not just unavoidable consequence of aging or childbirth, Right. No, and what's interesting is I wasn't actually listening to those last things that you said because I realized I don't think I've ever looked up the word continence. Have you? Have I ever looked it up? Um, no, I had never. I just looked it up right now. I I was like, you know, I know what well, the word incontinence. Well, that's because I wasn't listening. Mm. I was busy just doing something else, and I was like, oh wait, she paused. It's my turn <laughs> to talk. No, but I, I so continence refers to self control. Oh, so so I just think that's um. Hmm interesting the ability to retain a bodily fluid i'd be interested in a broader like not a modern definition but anyway we should totally have a researcher for this podcast yeah well that probably should be me it looks like well i meant like someone we're too busy we are busy and famous and we are (laughs) flying around in our jets Mm. (laughs) mine's invisible my chest because you're wonder woman Let's see what. So actually, so there is a Catholic encyclopedia, and maybe defined as the abstinence. And abstinence. anyway, wow, this is totally gone off the rails. You need well, you need better control of your bodily functions, Katie. We are totally not continent when it comes to. <laughs> we have like a poor verbal continent. Yes, right? we're verbally so we're verbally incontinent. Yes, yeah, this is true. It's good to have a label like that. That's good. I think that suits us both. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's the squash. <laughs> it's all the verbal squash that I'm eating. Okay. Every, so, yeah. Everybody so, eat pumpkin. All right. There's different kinds. Like some people yeah. sneeze and they pee a little in their pants. Yeah. Some people laugh or they jump down off a curb and pee in their pants. They can't go on the trampoline because they might pee. Right. Interestingly enough, all of those are the same kind of incontinence, though. Okay. Well, what would you call that? Those are all stress incontinence. Okay. 
So there's stress incontinence where the involuntary loss of urine is associated with anything that increases physical stress or pressure to, well, anywhere in the body, but but it, the path of least resistance or the weakest length is going to be your pelvic floor. So snee pee, right? Is that what they call it? Like snee? Sneeze pee. It rhymes so much better. Yeah. So sneeze pee, trampoline pee, laugh pee, <laughs> jump down the curb pee, crossfit pee. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's anything where the low, like where you've raised the pressure in your body. So like if you pick up something really heavy, that's also stress incontinence. It's where the reactions of your body, whether they are to increase intra-abdominal pressure to brace against your spine or this heavy load or if there's like a violent shake to your body, which would be jumping or trampolining or jump roping or sneezing or laughing, where again, you're increasing the pressure to your abdomen, which then goes and pushes on the pelvic cavity, which then creates a pressure on the bladder. All of those are stress incontinence. So that's one type. Then there's also urge incontinence. And urge incontinence is the kind of constant, for no apparent reason, sudden and urge urgent need to like void or pee because it can be fecal at the same it doesn't have to always be it's not always urine right Right. so you could have they don't like sneeze pee there could also be like sneeze crap your pants it's happened it can happen it can happen happen. you know so it's so incontinence doesn't refer exclusively to urine it's just anytime you can not keep your fluids whatever they may be in So urge incontinence, if you're getting up in the middle of the night to pee a couple times to make it through the night with regularity, not because you drank a 40-ouncer before you went to bed (laughs) of water. (laughs) I mean, actually, you don't really call it 40-ouncer is what nerds call it. I think it's just a 40 if you're cool. Yeah, just, yeah. (laughs) You're like, I drank a 40-ouncer last night. That would be a mathematician, not. (laughs) Spill a little H2O on the floor for my homies. That's right. Yeah. So that's spasms in the bladder or in the like the the wall of the bladder, problems with the nerves or the muscles. So that's a little bit different. The urge nothing, is the urge incontinence. I'm sorry, is spasms? Did you say? Well, the 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 pressure, the change in the shape of the bladder, which is pushing on the pee, which makes it have to come out, is the spasm. But it's different because you're just laying there. Or lying there, as my husband, who is more grammatically correct, would say. (laughs) Even my two-year-old is like, it's lie, not lay. I was like, oh, thanks. So with stress incontinence, you've done something to change the pressure. With urge incontinence, the bladder itself has changed shape, which creates the pressure. So it's not related to any particular activity in that moment. There is also overflow incontinence, which is when you don't empty completely men or women oh it's so you so you're not you're not emptying all the way you're all like you really should you should empty all the way every time you go to the bathroom that's kind of how it works but with overflow incontinence there's some sort of i guess the easiest way to say it is there's a there's blocked tubes for some structural reason so say you have an inflamed prostate so you have to think of it as a fixed container size. So when you have things like inflammation, maybe your uh, urethra is inflamed or your prostate is inflamed or you have the ligaments. When you have prolapse where your organs are dropping, they're pressing on tubes. Kind of like, remember when we did our clothing? Mm -hmm. We did our clothing episode. It was like, you know, your tight pants are pushing on tubes. Same thing goes for misplaced organs or swollen organs. They start pressing on tubes. And so your exit pathway 
of your tu- your exit tubes become less in size, which which blocks the flow of everything. And so you, uh, I, I think the biggest risk on that one is infection, right? Because you're you're always holding a little bit in, and instead of like this regular fill void, fill void, there's always like this residual. And then the longer stuff sits in your body, the more likely it can grow bacteria that you don't want it to grow and then lead to infection. So that's overflow incontinence. And there's a couple more, but one one other one that I think will be pertinent to this discussion is transient incontinence. Oh. So transient means it comes and goes. So it's not a condition as much as it is a name for a situation or symptom. So like stress incontinence If you have it regularly, then you would get the diagnosis of stress incontinence. Transient incontinence is a short-lived issue. So like constipation or like you have a temporary urinary tract infection or you're taking medication like a a diuretic or maybe you're taking sleeping pills and you don't, you're unable to get up when you have to go pee and so that you're having an inability to control for some other reason it's a side effect this type of like a transient incontinence is a side effect of another medical issue so one reason that i called it out like i could have just left this off is there's this category for incontinence where it's the result of something else but i think that as we're talking today you can always think of all incontinence as the reason i don't know what's the plural of incontinent incontinences I don't know. I'm going to put that on a research assistant. Would you, yes. would you get on that? Thank you. Could you also make a note to hire one? Yeah, he's totally on it. He's All good. Right. Awesome. Okay, good. Um, is it your dog? Because <laughs> your dogs are really smart. You're Works really cheap. Smart Works cheap. Yeah. So anyway. Every kind of incontinence is really a result of something else is what you just said. Yes. So transient, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we can call transient necessarily for the fact that it's a side effect of something else as much Mm -hmm. as it's not constant. It comes and it goes. So anyway, those would be what we're talking about today. Okay. And you have often, I mean, I know you're such a pelvic floor person. I am. (laughs) Me and my pelvic floor shadow. Strolling around. And in fact, let's just backtrack a little bit before we move forward. How did you initially become so smitten? (laughs) with the pelvic floor? Well, it was when I was in graduate school. It was probably the first, um, I think when I first started, I mean, I I know, when I first started graduate school is because I was interested in cultural patterns of movement and the ailments that developed from developed nations or developing nations. Like I was really interested in the the physical mechanism of ailments because there there are ailments that are local to particular lifestyles or, or that you'll find in those areas. So I, I was interested in that. And then one day I was, I don't know, like in Target or some drugstore and I walked down trying to find the contact solution because it is so hard to ever find where they put this, like the Q-tips and the contact solution. I feel like those are things that every human needs, so they hide it in the bowels of drugstores so that you have to walk yeah. past everything else. Well, it's like, the fairy, else. it's like the fairy kingdom. It's kind of just, <laughs> it moves and it's hidden, and you never really know no. where it should be. No, but look at on your way out, you could buy two CDs and this book that you didn't need and this <laughs> lip gloss and this purse. So thanks, Target. Here's $90 once again <laughs> because I needed Q-tips. But anyway, I was wandering around looking for the things that human beings need for health, not the amenities or the extras but the basics and I walked through what I thought was the diaper aisle for kids but it was the incontinence 
products. And I don't, I don't know why I was looking. I didn't have any kids. You know, this was, I was like 24 or something like that. And I was walking down and I saw the babies and then I saw they had like newborn diapers and then they had diapers for, you know, the kids as they get older. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't have any kids. I was like, I don't get it. And then all of a sudden I saw toddler diapers and then I saw diapers for four to five-year-olds. And then there was the young, active, fit woman dependence. I mean, it just, it, it filled both aisles. And there was a product for every single age, for every single stage of the life. Like, it, was, it, was, it just struck me as like, wow, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that kids need diapers until four or five you know, and I'm not talking about like the specialty. I mean, I realize there's special issues. Right. It was just like it was a wall of padding <laughs> and it was all it was just all plastic and all that. And, I, and it just really struck me as, wow, like their incontinence must be an issue from birth until death. Right. Because it, it ended with the, you know, the silver box of what you need at end stages of your life. And I, it just tr- struck me as like really profound so I went home and immediately started looking at research and that direct that directed the rest of my graduate school career that's all I focused on for the most part was I still did a lot of cultural issues but pelvic you have to kind of specialize and so I specialized in mechanics the mechanics of the pelvic floor and so that's that's where it all came from it all came from being lost in the drugstore and really good marketing wow I'm so glad that you were in that aisle that you couldn't find your saline solution for your contacts because the thanks, work that, Target. <laughs> thanks Target for helping all of us. So really, I mean, that's that actually you kind of go into my next question I had for you. It's, so it's incontinence awareness month, right? Right. But it's, it's all about the pelvic floor. I mean, and that's what we should be talking about. And so this show can be about incontinence because that's what we decided that we were going to talk about today. But could you, I know this is a really big question, but. <laughs> What's it all how, mean? Katie? What does it mean? No, how, I mean, tell me how the pelvis integrates into everything the body does. And I know like in your books, and I'm just going to call this out for people that have, have not read it, like Alignment Matters, Chapter 4, there's 41 pages of pelvic floor blog posts, all helpful all very eye-opening and very useful. One of my favorites is one, two, three, four. We like our pelvic floor. Yay. That's so old. I, I think about it now. I'm I like, know. I wrote that so long ago. I know. But I, that was one of the first things I read of yours. And yeah. it was just like, you know, rubbing my eyes going, wee, wee, what? <laughs> yeah. And chapter 10 in Move Your DNA, you're <laughs> not your great, 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 great grandparents pelvis chapter. Mm-hmm is a really good one for those of you that have not, you know, gone into this aspect of how important the pelvic floor is. That chapter is great because it's lets you know that it's not just keeping like your pelvic floor isn't an isolated part of your body. It's, it's a big part of everything that you do and everything that you do keeps it healthy and and vice versa. So could you kind of talk about how it integrates is that a dumb question? How does it integrate into everything? Like, it matters so much to us. The I know. It matters so much. Well, it matters to you and I. And there's a whole bunch of people out there, I think, clinicians and, and body workers and people interested in movement. Like, the pelvis, the pelvic floor, right, which is just a small part of the pelvis, right? So mm-hmm. I wrote a lot on the pelvic floor because it's a good entry portal because so many people, <laughs> clinicians were into, oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize I just did that. 
<laughs> it's a it is an entry it's a gateway. <laughs> okay, I'm under control now. Okay, thank you. It is it, it it was a good way to kind of get people to 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 think in a particular way about the body. And I think with move your deep so like all those posts, all those blog posts, and you can read all the blog posts on the pelvis section of Katie says it's in that chapter of alignment matters where there's so many articles. But again, those were for the most part about the the pelvic floor, but then trying to connect it to other pieces because the pelvic floor does not work in a vacuum. <laughs> I resisted as, as long as I could. It's okay. It's uh, good. So thank I'm you. I'm still trying to control myself. I'm sitting <laughs> on my hands over here. You have to stop listening to what I say. When I do a big <laughs> pause, you're going to start talking again. <laughs> With Move Your DNA, I tried to approach it from a different way, which is saying there is no, I mean, yes, there is a pelvic, there are pelvic floor muscles, but those muscles are attached to bones and those bones are attached to other muscles. And the loads to the pelvic floor aren't only the weight of the organs sitting on top of them. The weight fluctuates with the pressures that you create with your body, with the movement. And so I think that there's been kind of a linear understanding of the pelvic floor for a long time, which is just the way all anatomy is kind of understood at this time. But it makes solving problems about the pelvic floor a little bit more challenging. So this is National Incontinence Awareness Month. So I think it's helpful that this discussion is even on the radar because for a long time it was an embarrassing topic for people, for men and women to discuss. It's less so for women now because there's like a billion websites. Um, men aren't so fortunate to have the resources that that women have, I think, in across social media, right? There's many women's sites and maybe they're men's sites, but they're pink, which <laughs> automatically, you know, it's like, oh, that site's not for me. Move on. So you have to really, really look hard to find the information. But at the same time, incontinence is just a symptom. And so you're saying, like, should we call it pelvic floor health month? Yes. And then if we want to think even bigger than that, it really should be pelvic health, right? Because your right. pelvic floor is only as healthy as the pelvis. But then again, the pelvis is only as healthy as the body and the body is only as healthy as the environment in which it's in. So as far as solving pelvic floor mysteries goes, they are whole body, whole lifestyle issues. So with that premise, what does the pelvis do? It's like, well, the pelvis, didn't I list it and move your DNA? I'm like, the pelvis is like... You did. Go ahead. And that's why I say, I mean, when you said it's important to me and you, but no, it's important to it's important to humans. It's important to humans. Sure. And that's, yeah. that's profound. Yeah. Because the pelvis is going to be, I mean, it's a it's an exit portal, you know, almost, well, I guess not anymore because we have cesareans. But at one point, the pelvis was the exit for every human alive on the planet, which means you have directly interfaced with a pelvis and a pelvic floor and the tension in the pelvic floor and the health of the pelvic floor. And then, of course, there are other things like the microbiome in the vagina and all these other things. Like every person listening to this had the potential, at least, of shooting out a pelvis. And so, therefore, it matters. It matters to our species. And it, it's, it is a it's a mechanical environment that you have interacted with. And so the state of that mechanical environment, you know, is, is affecting your current shape of your body right now in, in every sense. So it's large. Well, I don't want to call your pelvis large because I don't know. My pelvis is large. So the pelvis is a big deal to the species as far as biology goes and reproduction, menstruation, having good sex, having 
healthy organs, pain-free organs. Well, reproduction. I put reproduction. You know, that's men and women. That's all of it, you know. So it's not just like when you're you're not reproducing or not in reproduction mode – You might not think about those types of things, but, you know, your pelvic health is kind of like a red flag for the health of your, the state of your entire body. And then if you look at, what did you say the statistics were? Like how many people were having incontinence? 25 million? Was that what you said? 25 million Americans, yeah. 25 million Americans. That's just Americans. Those are red flags for all of these other functions that pass through that. And we've seen a trend in incontinence affecting younger and younger populations of people. So anyway, it's, again, these are just like red flags. It's a symptom of a larger problem. Okay. And it's not just, well, I don't want to get into the pub. We're going to do a whole other pub thing later. Can I stop right here? Because here's the message that I got. I got, dear Katie and Danny, what happened to the mid-break exercises? So I'm going to do one right now for the pelvis. Do you mind? I do not mind. I for, we totally have like forgotten to do that for like the last little bit. She was like, it was so great because that was. I got that too. And I wanted to write back to her and tell her that we have a verbal incontinence problem. <laughs> that is how we've skipped over those. But I liked them too. So, so you Let's can. do it. Oh, so like you can do the, you can do basically what is an oral kegel, which is just pinch your lips together really hard. <laughs> those is don't it work. Working? <laughs> those are working. <laughs> All right. So. Put your feet, look down at your feet, and set your feet up so they're pointing straight ahead, a little wider than pelvis width. And then you're going to, you want to have minimal shoes on or be barefoot, meaning I just don't want a heel underneath your foot right now. And you're going to back your weight up into your heels so that the weight comes off of the toes, right? So there's this kind of forward tendency that we have. I'm going closer to the microphone, and then I'm coming away and going towards my heels, Once you're back on the rear part of your foot, kind of stacked over your heel bones, you're going to shift your weight to the right leg. So even though you're shifting your weight to the right leg, what's happening is the left side of the pelvis is lowering towards the floor. And then you're going to shift your weight over to the left leg. So this is just really gliding your pelvis from one leg to the other, but this is a pelvic mobility type exercise. So we're standing up and we're shifting our weight from the right leg to the left leg, making sure that the weight stays back on our heel and then open your feet a little bit wider. So maybe go double pelvis width and then try it again. And you'll notice that as you change the width of your legs, you can come closer or farther away. You will change the loads that you are placing on the muscles of the hip which are also the muscles that connect the pelvis to the femur. So this is just a hip glide side to side, but then you can try it in a forward bend. You can bend forward and put your hands on your thighs, but it works well if you put your hands and rest them on the seat of a chair. So can you hear me if I bend over like this? Yep. Because I have to do it. So you're bent forward and you're going to do the same thing. You're going to shift your weight to the right and you're going to shift your weight to the left. And, And the motion... While it looks the same, it's still a shift to the right and to the left because you've tipped your pelvis forward, you've flexed your hip. Now when you shift to the right and to the left, you're going to feel it usually in your inner thighs, your adductor muscles, also maybe in your hamstring muscles. So it's not really a stretch per se because you're you're actively moving from one side. There's parts of you that are stretching, but you're you're trying to move from one to the other and you're going to find that usually you have an ease of movement in one direction compared to the other. Do you have that? Do you have one side that glides better? Oh, yeah, I do. I have one side that does everything a little bit better for the most part. Right or left? Left. Oh, I just feel so good. I might not come back up. 
Oh my God, that's great. Okay, so anyway, that was my exercise. All Thank right, you. carry on. That was good. Let's just go from there right into what kinds of things affect our pelvic health, the health of our pelvis. Oh, well, everything. I <laughs> everything. Could you could you list that? <laughs> <laughs> go starting now. Your footwear, your posture, the tightness of your pants, belts, how much you sit, how much you walk or don't, how you walk or don't, how you sit, how you sit, your diet. Gosh, was there other some other? Well, like whether you hold your stomach in or not. Yes, um, like it's the pressure, like uh, how and that's. Like the intra-abdominal pressure that you keep all of the time, the mobility of your diaphragm, the position of your rib cage, right? All those kind of go under that posture mm-hmm. orientation of your parts or alignment, because in that case, it'd be like the forces that are created by the postures. The easiest way is the loads that you create, the frequency that you load the pelvic floor. The best visual I've ever done, I think, on the pelvic floor was I did a creative live segment for Jill Miller had a pregnancy creative live. I don't know what they call it, a series. Did you see that? Have you ever done a creative live? So creative live is a, it's a company that is basically an education company and they create an online experience that's live and you have someone come out. In this case, it was Jill Miller, who is the of yoga tune-up fame, and she put together uh, like everything that you should consider, you know, during pregnancy to keep your body, you know, super viable. And she had different experts come out and explain different topics. And I came out and I was talking about I had I had a plastic bag, like a plastic grocery bag, and I believe it was oranges. I, I set the plastic bag on a chair. And I started filling it with oranges talking about, you know, you are getting heavier your abdominal contents are getting heavier. The baby is getting heavier. You know, you're growing a placenta in addition to a baby. You're adding more fluids. So the weight to your pelvic floor is increasing. But you're just, the bag was just sitting on the chair, reflecting what humans do the bulk of the time, right? So you're pregnant, but you still have to go to work or, and you still sit and watch TV the bulk of the time. You're still a sedentary person belonging to a sedentary culture. So meanwhile, every day you're adding just a little bit more tangerine, number of tangerines in this bag. And then I would pick up the bag. And so the strength of your muscles, the the, the, the resting tension, the ab- ability to conduct a particular level of force comes with what you do most frequently. Well, this bag of oranges sits on the chair most frequently. So in the rare, I don't know what you want to call it, like on the, in the rare situation and when it gets up, you know, now all of a sudden you pick the bag up and it accelerates the orange is down, mm. but the pelvic floor was sitting most hours of the day, which is way different. You would have a way different adaptation, or, which is like another way of saying strength to your mm-hmm. pelvic floor than if you grab the bag that's sitting all day long. And then I was like, let's go for a run. And I was like, jing, 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 jing. And the oranges are <laughs> bouncing on the bottom and then it Aww. sits back down for another 12 to 17 hours. And then it gets back up and ding, 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 ding. You know, that that is our pelvic floor's experience of our movement. And you might not be adding oranges, which are baby weight, but in that same way, you have a particular weight of your organs. And then let's say you have a habit of bearing down, in which case that weight increases. It's like putting a Mm -hmm. stack of weights on a scale and then pushing down on top of it. So it's it's more than just the weight of the stuff's movement causes accelerations, pressures cause accelerations. So your pelvic floor is, is frankly, extremely deconditioned. And let's say that you get exercise on a regular basis, the pelvic floor is a 
is a is a group of muscles that perform differently depending on the angles at which you use them. So say you say, I exercise every day, I walk every day, or I run every day, but the thing that you're doing doesn't use your hips and all of their ranges of motion. You're not using breadth is the best word, I think, for it. It just means that there is, if, if you think of your hips as having 360 degrees amount of strength, and you're like, I can I can squat, let's say you can squat with 150 pounds on your back and you're coming up and you're coming down and you can do like 40 of those and that's rad. And I say, okay, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your right foot all the way out to the right and turn your left foot in 20 degrees. And now I want you to see what you can squat. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I can't squat that much. It's like, yes, because you haven't done that particular motion with your feet in one particular way, with your knees in Mm -hmm. one particular way, with the uneven terrain. So it's just, it's a lack of robust strength to the pelvic floor, which is brought about by sedentary lifestyle and or repetitive exercises as our primary uh, movement nutrient input. So that that's what affects it. And then all those other things, mood, stress, psychological factors, diet, clothing. You know, like that would be the big umbrella over it all. Mm-hmm. Can we go back to the whole movements that we don't do a lot? Sure. Like squatting. Okay, so you talk about squat like a weightlifting squat, right? Mm-hmm. But a squat as a resting position, I guess, would you say that? What, resting posture? Yeah. I, I never in my life had thought about that before I started following your work. Squatting as a resting posture. Did you come in through pelvic floor? <sighs> yes. Most people, did I tell you the story of when I did a book signing in Minneapolis? Actually, I just came in through pain in general, but really? I, I was having pelvic floor issues, yeah. Well, I did a book signing in Minneapolis last, right when Move Your DNA came out, like not last June, but the June before. And Mama Sweat was there, mm-hmm. who wrote that pelvic floor party, oh, yeah, Uninvited. Yeah. And, and there was, I don't know, there was like probably 130, 140 people there at the signing. And I ra- had them raise their hand. And I was like, who has found out about Katie Says or any of my books or anything because of this? <laughs> Kegel's not invited thing and probably 80% of the room raised wow. their hand and I was like this is Kara Tom right here who wrote that article and it's because of her that you are now like on this trajectory or of information or whatever so it was it was really amazing where pelvic floor is still probably the number one entry portal <laughs> if you will. <laughs> which kind um, of just goes back to you saying how integral it is to the entire is. whole body health i mean it is. if that many people are coming to you with those issues then then yeah. it matters a lot for men yeah. and women so i hope any guys that started listening to this i hope you're still listening because it you matters. have a pelvic floor you it's not pink pelvis. this episode yep. is not pink it's nope. just it's for every human mm-hmm. so anyway so squats well, squats, I mean, that's just, and, and then I kind of want to just touch on kegels, but I know we don't want to go into that too much. But yeah, squatting as a resting posture, it took a long time for me to do it. You can't just, if you've never squatted and you've been in a chair your whole life, you can't just squat. It doesn't work that way. You kind of have to prep for it. And on your blog and in your book, you have great squat prep protocol mm-hmm. for getting people into a squat. But but floor sitting, Floors like a squat is a large category of motions and it's not the squat as a position is not really more beneficial than the process of getting down and back up again. Those Mm -hmm. portions of a squat are also nutritious. Like if someone plucked you up, moved your body parts into a particular configuration, set you down on the ground, 
that's not very nutritious. It's the movement down and back up again. And so for those of you who are like, I can't even squat. I'm like, well, you can certainly go sit on the floor and support yourself, sit on a couple pillows and get into something similar and then get back up again. And, and you, my friend, are doing a squat in this way and can reap some of these benefits, except to say, I also like, because, you know, the squat, you know, it was like, oh, no more kegels. A lot of people decided, well, let's just swap <laughs> swap the squats for the kegels and then you have a whole bunch of people who don't really have any pelvic floor strength yeah. and who are who are bearing down through their squats mm-hmm. and it's like well the key is to find exactly your current squat range of motion and work within it so that you're not creating that downward pressure so if you have stress incontinence you know which is leakage brought about by changes in pressure where the change in pressure is greater than what your pelvic floor can resist against you want to create movements that work within your pelvic floor's current ability to withstand that stress and then you go from there so it's like you're going to run a marathon you don't get up and start running because you will exceed your body's physiological capabilities and a squat for many people is exceeding their physiological Mm -hmm. capabilities so it's all about bolstering bolstering modifying and working within your boundaries yeah yeah there's no singular solution I mean, so we don't even have to touch on kegels, even though that's probably the most common thing that people are given for sure. stress incontinence and well, prolapse and stuff. Everything that's given to people is always like easy, simple, bullet point, magazine, headline. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, but, it, you know, everything's a whole body, whole lifestyle issue. But that's a real hard, that's like, like that's a hard message to take because you're like, but the symptom is the only thing bothering me right now. Right. Because if you're only aware of the symptom and not of the red flag and of the symptoms to come later on, you might change how interested you are in a, in a broader approach. So I just mm-hmm. I put the broader approach out there because I think that people I know that I would like to know the broader approach. So I just make sure that that broader approach is represented and people can go with a, like a shorter term type thing or they can go with a, a larger kind of overhaul of of a movement and lifestyle, really. Yeah. That's perfect. If I am a bullet point person, just pretend I'm a bullet point person because I used to be, what are some things I could do? Like I'm listening to this thinking, holy cow, a whole new world. What can I do right now to start to improve my pelvic health? Well, it's almost like in the order that I created products, right? You know, like that down there for women, which was those five, which is five exercises that mobilize the hips, essentially. So like, that's the smallest amount of motion. There was, there's nothing in the down there five exercises that create stress. So that if you have stress incontinence, you don't have to be worried about doing an exercise that creates a quantity of stress that would exceed your current pelvic floor health. So it's like, nice, nice and safe then. Well, well, I remember someone wrote me, she said she bought another exercise DVD. It was like, I think it was a, it was a famous Hollywood trainer from, from a show about losing a lot of weight. I'm just not going to say any names. And it was like a lot of jumping. And so she was like trying to build, she's like, I read it. And so I know I need to build my butt. So I'm doing jump rope so that like my butt gets like more firm. And of course, jumping around, which could, you know, give you a stronger legs and butt maybe, also came with the stress package. And mm-hmm. so she's like, now I have a prolapse. And I was like, oh. awesome. Okay, so let's go back. So anything that's creating stress, like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to stop doing the things that are exceeding the strength of your pelvic floor. You have to go back, or you can, you don't have to do anything. Hmm. You can go back and start by going, okay, this area, 
there it's because it's twofold. It's one, yes, you're not moving enough, but moving more isn't always the solution because your hips, pelvis, knees, all the, and, and remember your pelvis is passing through your feet, right? So if your feet are, have particular angles, that's going to set the inclination or the tilt of your pelvis, which is affecting so many other things about what helps the pelvic floor stay at a particular way of functioning, force production, if you will. Oh my gosh, I forgot what I was going to say. What, how did I well, start so that you, sentence? We were, we were talking about things we can do, and you brought up the down there for women. Yeah, no, it was after that. Do. It was this last thing. So, Well, then I'm lost too. The good thing is when you have verbal incontinence, you just keep talking and mm-hmm. talking and talking. No, okay, I was just saying... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Talking, we're talking about bullet points. I started Well, and like removing the things if you're going to be doing something that that causes more stress. Oh, here's here's the thing. Gosh, my goodness. Did we find it yet? You've adapted. I got to fire that research assistant. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the research assistant could just take over the show. You know we need our new hosts. Can we just hire some new hosts. You send your job applications to us. It's not and- <laughs> but we've forgotten the address yeah. it's not it's not only that you're not moving it's that because you've adapted to not moving when you go to start moving the ability for your all of your pelvis to be participating is less so these corrective exercises are what i call like movement micronutrients they're a great way at kind of tugging on fibers that haven't participated in a long time to get them functioning. So that exercise, that weight shifting back and forth, forward bend shifting back and forth, all of that is changing the state of your pelvis and your pelvic floor. It doesn't look like really a movement of like a natural movement of getting up and down and walking around, but because you did not have not moved very much, you have to kind of supplement a little bit to kind of fill in some of the gaps a little bit. So we have a lot of corrective exercises as the first bullet point, low stress corrective exercises, Mm -hmm. and then more advanced corrective exercises, and then starting to re-engage in the natural movements that would keep the pelvis and your whole body more nourished so that you wouldn't have this symptom. You, You have a mechanical nutritional deficiency, Incontinence and pelvic floor disorders are symptoms of movement deficiencies. So you can add a orthotic, some something outside of you that helps take care of the symptom, but you have to just learn how to move better. So things like the amount that you walk should be increased, the terrain over which you walk should be varied. But also, are you walking in minimal shoes or not? Because that, if you read Whole Body Barefoot, there's just going to be this geometry that when you have a heel on your foot, your walking is not going to be as nutritious for your pelvic floor until your heel can come all the way to the ground. So it's like your heel is like knocking off some nutrients that your pelvis really needs. That You, know, you get that we talk about in the gate, that posterior right. push off, your butt strength as created through this loaded hip extension is is part of the pelvis strength making, whether it's the bone, whether it's the resting tension of the pelvic floor, all of those things come with those habits sitting on the floor because it loads your hips in a dynamic way, getting back down, getting back up again, which I put squat and floor sitting and non-chair resting positions all in the same category. Okay. Because it's not just about this exercise, the squat, it's just that 
your hips and knees are barely used in their full range of motion. And it is your knee and hip use that is going to affect the nutrition level of your pelvic floor. Those are, those are movements. It's all like, that's where their mechanical nutrients come from is this loaded hip and knee and ankle and sacrum use, getting back down, coming back up again. Right. And even just standing, like standing in line in minimal shoes with your weight back in your heels. It's certainly better than not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, those posture. Are just little things, yeah, sure. you can do. And well, po- because posture really creates pressure, sucking in your stomach, right? Learning how to mm-hmm. diastasis recti is going to help so many people with their pelvic floor. I can't say how the excited bo- I am book. about this. Yes, yes, not the condition. <laughs> <laughs> diastasis recti, the book, will be such a precursor to going, oh, intra-abdominal pressure, rib position. I get it. I understand why this is creating like and you know we talked like this is incontinence i realize i didn't finish that last sentence but we're talking about incontinence but incontinence is a symptom oftentimes it's a it's a precursor symptom to prolapse because what's creating this extra pressure are the organs coming down and so like it's just it's it's all it's all related and i sent you a picture Oh my gosh. Before. Yeah. You text me and say, I got to send you a picture. And I'm thinking like, it's going to be, you know, your kids hanging on a tree or something cute (laughs) like that. It's like, I I can't even describe it. Do I have to describe it? Well, do you want to say what it is? Or should we talk about it and not give anyone a clue? And they'd be like, it was so good. Wish you could see it. All right. (laughs) Cover for you. No. Okay. It's really the sleek packaging of an incontinence product for women. And I forget what, what what it was called. My phone's in another room. Silhouette. Uh, Depend. Oh, silhouette so by Depends. Silhouette by Depends. Fantastic packaging. It looked like some really sexy underwear. And on the side, it says yoga pants approved. Yeah, it's active. And active it was fit. it was active wear incontinent stuff. And I know that they actually have made a yoga pant with a pad built into it, by the way. I saw that, that it was going around for for people that you know have stress incontinence when they're working out but i where did you find that a friend wow texted it to me she had gotten her client had been directly marketed to and sent a pair Mm. they don't even have current numbers on how much money we spend in the united states on incontinence the the latest numbers that my lousy research assistant could find (laughs) was from 1995 this is the 1995 dollars 16.3 billion dollars spent on incontinence that's products and you know doctor's visits stuff like that and i'm sure the number's greater now well i posted on facebook those pictures and like i don't i don't have a problem with products that make people's lives better like if Mm -hmm. that if this product is making your life better that's not the purpose of posting the pictures the reason that I post the pictures and what I note is there's a message out there that reinforces this idea that what you're experiencing with your body physically has nothing to do with what you've done with your body physically. So go ahead and keep doing the things you've always loved to do. Just add these Right. Products that make the symptoms easier to bear. Well, it's a message. It's a message of inevitability with accessories, you know, like right. it's inevitable what's happening to you. And so you need this product because it's going to happen to you anyway. So you might as well have this product. Yeah. And and then, uh, you know, there's a, it's like, well, we need these products and these products are great. I'm like, I don't have a problem with that. But the problem that I have again is with this idea that what you have has nothing to do with how you have lived and that you don't need to change. And then like, they're trying to research all of these. What did it say on the package? 
the package actually said in con- hold on let me i'm all technical gadgety during this i'm like i'm just gonna go watch a show yeah, right I'm now gonna, I'm gonna give, yeah i'm gonna give you the job of research assistant i've actually dog, been watching top chef this entire time is it wrong <laughs> to write watch food network while you're doing your podcast bladder and bowel incontinence may be caused by a condition that can be medically treated please see your doctor for professional advice so that's a disclaimer on this product oops whacking my microphone in my enthusiasm <laughs> so you're talking about the money that is spent and i'm not sure if that's consumer dollars or actual researcher dollars the national institutes of health funding research but the research keeps looking for a solution that has nothing to do with changing the mechanical nutrients that you create through the day it's looking for a solution in 20 minutes of intervention three times a week where you don't change anything about your life. It's like kind of like placate you. It's like, hey, what you're doing? It's working for you besides this other thing. So why don't you just add this? It doesn't, like for me, minimalism, the stripping away of supported shoes, right? is like really the way that you get your foot health back, not by doing seven foot corrective exercises and then walking around in your stilettos again. Like that Mm -hmm. there is, you're going to have to change the habits. You cannot exercise off your cigarettes. You cannot eat salads to negate the 17 desserts that you had in the last three days. It does Physiology doesn't work like that. You cannot exercise off adaptations to an unsuitable for your physiology or biology lifestyle. And so I just think that it's almost becomes a waste of money because can you ever find a solution to a problem if you're not asking the right question, right? Like the, right. the right answer depends on this, how good the question was. So anyway, money and funding, it's just a bigger bone to pick, I guess, with academia, meaning make sure you're asking the right questions. We know that people don't want to change, but that should not direct science. Either that or the paper should say in the beginning, we understand that people will only give 15. Here's the research that shows people will only give 15 <laughs> minutes to a solution of a major problem. And so therefore, this paper is designed to compare 17 15-minute protocols. And then someone could choose to write a paper to say, well, let's compare a 90-minute protocol to a 15-minute protocol. And then we have a researcher that says, well, 90 minutes is actually going to be better than 15 minutes. And then, but no one would publish that because they'd say, well, everyone knows that doing more exercise is better than, you know, not doing 15 minutes. And so we won't do that. And anyway, I have incontinence. I'm going to do my my oral kegels right now. Okay, you do that because I want to touch on poop. Ew. Actually, that did not. Okay, I want to talk about pooping really quick before we go on to our final question. Everybody has seen probably the viral Squatty Potty (laughs) commercial that's been going around the last two weeks with the unicorn who is just pooping out this fantastically delicious looking rainbow soft serve. And it's and it's a long commercial, so it's clearly not. I don't have a TV, but I'm assuming there's no way this is on TV. It's just an internet. No, right, you couldn't commercial. get. I don't think you could get that on television. I, probably not. You know. What was your favorite moment? Do you have like one favorite moment? Uh oh. Well, at the end when they they're yes. passing out, <laughs> they're passing out the ice cream to the little peasant children, and they're getting it on their cheeks, and then he's handing out toilet paper. Toilet paper. So off. Yeah, that was my favorite moment too. But I love that. And we are not paid by Squatty Potty. We just no. both love to squat while we pee and poop. So true. Squatty Potty, the stool for better stool. <sighs> Pooping will never be the same. And neither will ice cream. 
And if you haven't seen that, you got to look up the Squatty Potty Pooping Unicorn commercial, and we'll put a link to it. But I'm sure everybody's seen it. I got this text from someone who's not, she's not really like a huge, she's a friend from a long time ago. And she said, like her husband just saw the Squatty Potty, she goes, her husband's name, saw the Squatty Potty promo on the Nutritious Movement page and immediately went out and ordered one. Mm, That's brilliant. Yes, like if you were going to be moved from a slaps, I mean that was <laughs> that was like Saturday Night Live. Oh, yes. it, was, it was good. It was like a Saturday Night Live spoof, and it got people to order them. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should watch it. I think that our podcast should just be replaced by that commercial. Okay, that would we'll make things a lot easier weeks. for everybody, especially our assistant. Yeah, but that is something. I mean, for you listening, that's just such a simple change that you can make. In, in so much about your overall health, but it really mm-hmm. does help with your pelvic health is just squat. You can get them at Bed Bath & Beyond now. They're not even like, like when I ordered mine, I'm sure you ordered yours. It was this weird thing that only, you know, weird nut jobs that liked poop. Poop. <laughs> to poop you must right really way. like poop if you're going to order a squatty potty. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Actually, I'm ordering my travel one today because I'm heading out to Hoobity Doobity next month. And there's oh, no way I'm living quiet. without that that squatty potty let you know how that goes do you have a travel one i don't okay you should you travel so much That's well crazy. i just put my feet on the toilet seat i just squat on the toilet oh you're really good well i'm committed and in the res house <laughs> like when we have all of the uh res teachers like when we went to castricum you know there's a bunch of res teachers that stayed in the same house and i could not figure out why why there was always this cardboard box and one of the teachers like oh that's my squatty i it's like unable to poop without it now just it was just something to get his feet up like seven inches so it just yeah and it's it's not such a weird thing and people that are opposed to it once they use it they're hooked like my kids didn't want to do it when i first got it now they're just like make sure you order one before we go to hoobity doobity (laughs) well to keep it with stress incontinence one of the major sources of stress to your pelvic floor is straining to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. ironically like you'll 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 empty your bladder more easily because it doesn't have the same tubage system. It doesn't require that same flexion or that same degree of flexion of the hips. But you're sitting there, so you've you've peed all you're going to pee, and now you're sitting there, and now you're trying to get your poop out, and you start straining. So that's a huge prolapse maker and and stress to the pelvic floor. It's bearing down more than what's necessary to try to accomplish a biological task that's being hindered by the cast of your toilet. So you are adding in extra force to accomplish something that should be happening on its own. If you just watch that Squatty Potty commercial, you're supposed to be just swirling out rainbow poops easily <laughs> by getting your hips up. And so they they did time measure of time to fully void fecally to get all your poop out. And it was significantly reduced just by changing the geometry. And and it's not just the squatty potty. You can see the references in the back of Move Your DNA of of real, you know, scientists doing real <laughs> poop analysis, you know, that's been published for other people to see. Cause it's it's a it's an easy solution. It is inexpensive. You don't have to buy a squatty potty. You just go take two cardboard boxes yeah, and put totally. them in your bathroom. Take a whole stack of books off of your shelf and put them to good use. Like it does mm-hmm. not require extra time extra money it doesn't require exercise yet pull a costanza and take a bunch of books into the bathroom so that should really go into our bullet point list of of how to take the load off your pelvic floor get your legs up when you're going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. just try it just just try it for a week you'll like it you really will so we're just gonna get close to wrapping it up here because we just the verbal incontinence is it's out (laughs) of control today 
that by definition. And we talked about how I came to your work through pelvic floor stuff and your big old kegels thing that was a big deal several years ago. You offered corrective exercises, postural adjustments, you know, just habit modifications that can improve the pelvic floor and the health of the pelvis. And I know that this month of November, when this is coming out, in honor of National Incontinence Awareness oh, yes. Month. <laughs> month, 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 month. There are lots of res graduates who also came to you. I mean, you said 80% of the people in that room raised yeah. their hand because of pelvic floor stuff and... A lot of the people are doing free workshops for pelvic floor health this month. If you want to find out, you can go on the website, Katie's website, which is stillrestorativeexercise.com, and you can like scroll over the map, which is kind of cool. So you can find instructors and maybe find one that's close to you and see if they have a free workshop for an intro to pelvic health. And there's also lots of um, physical therapists, many of whom are listed on the NAFC dot org site and that's the national association for continents and they're doing workshops too that are free and they specialize in pelvic floor issues and they go beyond more than just the let's just do kegels and fix this they kind of yeah. go into the postural corrections and stuff like that and that might be worth checking out i think the biggest takeaway is the high occurrence of this issue does not make it like a biologically normal state just because many people have it. And that's the biggest, I think, takeaway of this awareness month is there are things that can be done. There are things that you can do to halt this red flag. And you're not just trying to take care. I mean, you can think about it as like, I'm just trying to take care of this symptom right now. But if it's a symptom or if it's a flag of other things to come, what you're actually doing is you are being proactive about your pelvic health for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. you know, and hip health. And it's like, it's your, your pelvis, your knees, your hips, your low back. It's all, it's all really uh, health or wellness of that area. The, the mechanical nutrients are all facilitated by moving the whole lumps of yourself together, right? There, it's not just sitting there and isolating one muscle and working that single muscle over and over and over again, because it's affected by everything. Right. And, and I like looking at it as a symptom of an overall, sure. you know, lifestyle, just like, if you had a, a mole that you were worried that might be cancerous, you wouldn't not talk about it. You would get it checked out. And a lot of people don't talk about this because it's embarrassing because, you know, it's about going to the bathroom and not being able to hold it. But really, you can do things. And it's important to just, you know, talk with people and find some support and, All right. and do something about it. So do we have time for a question? We talked so much today. Yeah, let's do a quick one. Okay, this is a quick one. This is from Nick. And he writes, hi, I've heard about the whale fin story more than once now. And I can't help but wonder, he says seriously here, not trolling, is a (laughs) bent penis considered normal? Personally, I don't think it is, but it's also not that uncommon nowadays from what I've heard. Also, what might be possibly the cause of it? I love this question. Yeah, it's a good one. So this is a short, a short answer. Yes, please. Okay. So the, (laughs) I mean, it's a really long answer. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, the, Just give um, it to me straight. <laughs> oh, my God. You're so the master. The master. Okay. So it is common whether or not it is normal. I, I don't think it's a fully understood situation. It's not really an investigated at all situation. And you wouldn't have anything left over from people older you know, to real like there's like your there's mm-hmm. no penis bones or anything that you can find to see what the shape of the penis was historically throughout human timeline. But 
the way that the penis works as it becomes erect. So a penis has basically space. Well, you can think of it as tubes on either side. It's it's really an alignment of collagen, but it's got it's got connective tissue on either side that can hold blood, right? So when something becomes engorged, and really in women, it's interesting, your clitoris works in the same way. When, when you're putting blood to that area, blood flows through these tubes, and it is the fluid going down through these tubes that give a penis its stiffness. And it's also a change in the collagen orientation that gives it its stiffness. And then that stiffness can recede when the blood is out of that area. So just imagine like um, two tubes of plastic that are connected but separate. And then when you fill them with water, the water goes through and bloop, it has stiffness. And then you pull the water out and it kind of goes flaccid again. There are there are serious clinical bends to a penis that are not like the gentle curve to the right or to the left or slightly up or down that are more like right angle in nature. Oh, wow. And that comes about from, you know, you can actually, you can break a penis break it's it's kind of where when you when you do have an erection there is a um man it's all coming back to me now there is a oh my gosh i cannot think of what it what it's called but there's a, a lining a membrane that like say you're having sex and you jam it really hard accidentally mm-hmm. and then you can you quickly bend one side that injury to that membrane as it's healing like when anything heals it develops a bit of scar tissue so now you've got those two plastic tubes that that fill, which give it length and, and um, stiffness. But one side doesn't, gosh, what's the, I cannot think of, plastic isn't a good analogy because it needs something that stretches. But mm-hmm. let's say that, that the plastic on one side gets a little clumped. So let's say that the right side of these two plastic tubes, and, and really what's, what I have in my head right now are um, a slip and slide. A slip and slide that you fill with air, you know how you blow it up and it fills like two two tubes to Oh, I didn't even get that. But that's what's coming. Like all these I'm thinking of like all these plastic It's like the best euphemism and, for a penis I, ever. Thank you. Do you want to play slip and slide? Okay. So listen. <laughs> Pay attention. Do your oral kegels. So when you have a clump of fibro it's not fibrocarlic, like collagen fibers. As the water goes through, the one side doesn't extend fully. Mm. It doesn't lengthen fully. And that's what creates the curve. The curve is created when one side fills up longer and the other side is kind of clumped up a little bit. So you end up getting something in that if it, the right side was clumped up, it would veer off to the right because the right side would be a little bit shorter. So it would just kind of angle over to one side. You're talking about like the the hard bend that we're talking about, like the 90 This is how the hard bend, but it becomes more substantial. So it's, that is the known mechanism of the bend. And it's just, no one has really kind of investigated the general one. But what is believed to be the creator is simply repetitive positioning, just like anything else. So, um, are you talking about like a penis and pants sort of a thing? It or? can be how you dress, dress right or dress left. It can also be how you partake of your single penis activities, right? There tends to be a, a, a direction preference or a hand preference, and that becomes your repetitive movement. So over time, you're essentially mechanotransducing. You're, it's, like, it's like massage. It'd be like, what if you only gave a massage to your body with your right hand on the left side, you would have less. So 
So I'm going to mm-hmm. use the word sticky spot, and I'm referring back to Move Your DNA. So in Move Your DNA, I talk about cellular clumpage, right? So you you are mobilizing one set of your connective tissue of your pelvis more so than the other side. You are coaxing it in a particular direction, and what you get is a slight curve. So the slight curve isn't really... It's normal. It it doesn't appear to be problematic unless it's a significant curve in which it has a particular diagnosis. And there are surgeries where they go in to break up the fibrocartilage so that both sides can fill evenly so that it straightens back out because you might have an issue with intercourse or whatever. But anyway, I hope that people find that interesting or helpful, but that's believed to be. And then it's reinforced, right? You know, it's your curvature is less visible when you're not erect, Mm -hmm. but then you tend to have preferences of how you dress. Dress right right or dress left. I don't know if everyone knows it, but it's the term for which side of your pants you tuck it on. So again, we're talking about natural movement, right? The, The world's oldest natural movement where, you know, what is the frequency of copulation now compared to masturbation, clothing, all of these things could be affecting the resting state of the connective tissue in your penis. So anyway, final answer. That, that was fascinating. Wow, Nick, what a romper room I see you moment that was. That was awesome. <laughs> I see you, Nick. S- <laughs> Never that, mind. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that question. That was good. Cool. And plus well, he was totally a troll. I hope he was a troll. And then was like, you know what? I'm going to give up my trolling ways because someone gave me a well thought out and sincere answer. Love, it Nick. It was good. Yeah. We need a, a penis bone museum here in the United States, I think, if there's not one. Do you love your penis t-shirt? Do you ever wear it? I do. Thank you. I do. My kids are always just like, oh, God. Stop. I wear it. But it's awesome. If you can't torment Thank your children, you. what else are you supposed to be doing? I know. That's my purpose. Well, that was great. Thank you for your time. That was so fun. I love the pelvis. And thanks, everyone, for listening. For more information, books, online classes, etc., you can find Katie at katiesays.com. And you can learn more about me, Danny Hammett, Movement Warrior, and Born Again Squatter at MoveYourBodyBetter.com. Bye. Bye. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. 